بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم The next hadith which is hadith number 540 عن ابن عباس رضي الله عنهما أن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم احتجم وهو محرم واحتجم وهو صائم رواه البخاري Narrated Ibn Abbas, may Allah be pleased, both of them, that the Prophet ﷺ had himself cupped when he was wearing the ihram during Hajj or Umrah, and had himself cupped when he was fasting. Uh, the cupping, which is known in Arabic as al-hijama, uh, is <coughs> extracting uh, bad blood. <coughs> from the body in a specific known way in a specific known way and in the past they used to do this in a primitive way whereby they will take a small jar uh, equipped with a uh, tube small tube and so the one performing the cupping <coughs> will cut the skin open and then would place the this small jar or bottle on it then he will suck using this tube such that he creates a vacuum uh, and then he will close the end of the tube and then this way the blood will withdraw once this uh, small jar becomes filled it drops itself uh, it drops because now the blood took the place of <coughs> replace the vacuum here now <coughs> uh, nowadays they have advanced ways which differ from this uh, primitive description that you have heard so here Ibn Abbas uh, said the Prophet had himself cupped when he was wearing the ihram here during the Umrah this was during a Umrah And it is known that uh, during this cupping, the Prophet ﷺ, he did it on his head, and <coughs> that it's, uh, it was something that he would remove the hair from the place of the cupping. It's inevitable that uh, some of the hair is to be removed from the place of the from the site of cupping, and here. In this hadith, in this hadith, the statement says, وَاحْتَجَمَ وَهْوَ صَائِمٌ And he had himself cupped when he was fasting. This statement was uh, rejected by some of the scholars. Rahimahumullah. Like Imam Ahmad, Rahimahullah, and others. And they said that this is incorrect. This is incorrect. And that this is 
وهم يعني a delusion from the narrator otherwise the hadith is in Sahih al-Bukhari but this does not prevent that a narrator may go into a delusion about uh, a wording but in origin what is reported by Sayyid al-Bukhari is that it is authentic until there is an evidence to indicate that it is otherwise meaning weak this is with respect to the general uh, discussion regarding this hadith but we need to take the rest of the narrations regarding this subject so that we can uh, discuss the whole matter so we will take the next hadith of Shaddad bin Aws and the Nabiya sallallahu alayhi wa sallam أتى على رجل بالبقيع وهو يحتجم في رمضان فقال أفطر الحاجم والمحجوم رواه الخمسة إلا الترمذي وصححه أحمد بن خزيمة وابن حبان نريد شداد بن أوس رضي الله عنه that the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم came across a man in al-Baqi who was being cupped in Ramadan who was being cupped in Ramadan he said the one who cups and the one who is cupped have broken their fast. The one who cups and the one who is cupped have broken their fast. This is reported by the five. Al-Khamsa except At-Tirmidhi and Ahmed and Ibn Khuzayma and Ibn Hibban graded it as Sahih Hadith. The Prophet ﷺ there came across a man in Al-Baqi'ah. And Al-Baqi'ah is known place and it is the cemetery for the people of Medina. What is intended here is the surrounding area, not the uh, the cemetery itself and so he saw this man who was being cupped in Ramadan so he sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said after al-hajim wal-mahjum al-hajim wal-mahjum it's possible that this refers to the, these two men broke their fast this is possibility and this that could be the al al hajim the article al it could be for kind meaning the kind mean whoever will do the same from the one who cups and the one who is cupped irrespective of these two individuals This is possible. However, this possibility leads to something to be said that it is possible to take out uh, the cause uh, excluded from the general ruling, and this is not allowed. That is because if we say that uh, the kind would break the fast, the kind of these two will break the fast and then we exclude these two individuals, then this means the cause for this ruling is not under the general ruling. However, the scholars, rahimahumullah, in the principles of fiqh assert that the cause of a ruling is certain to be included in the generality of the ruling. This is what's said now about this hadith. In general, we go to the next hadith on Anas bin Malik, radiyallahu anhu, qal. And this is hadith for 542. 
And he said, Anas ibn Malik radiallahu anhu ta'ala said, Awwalu ma kurihat al-hijamatu lil-sa'im Anna Ja'far ibn Abi Talib Anna Ja'far ibn Abi Talib Ihtajama wa huwa sa'im Famarra bihi al-Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Faqal aftara hadhan Thumma rakhasa al-Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Ba'du fi al-hijamati lil-sa'im Wa kana anasui ihtajimu wa huwa sa'im Rawahu al-dara qutni Wa qawwah the first time when cupping for one who is fasting was disapproved was when Ja'far bin Abi Talib had himself cupped while he was fasting. The Prophet ﷺ came across him and said, both of these have broken their fast. Afterwards, the Prophet ﷺ allowed cupping for one who is fasting. Anas used to have himself cupped when he was fasting. And this is quoted by Adar Qutni, who said that it is strong. Yeah. Who considered it? or who was thanked and declared it to be strong. Ja'far bin Abi Talib's relation to the Prophet ﷺ, his first cousin, احتجمه وهو صائم He had himself cupped while fasting, and the Prophet ﷺ passed by and said, أفترها ذان Both of these have broken their fast, meaning the one who performed the cupping and the one who has been cupped or the one who was cupped and they were both fasting then afterwards he sallallahu alayhi wasallam allowed cupping for one who is fasting meaning after this statement and Anas radiallahu anhu who narrated this hadith who used to have himself cupped when he was fasting in these narrations now altogether, there is an explanation concerning the ruling about about cupping, about al-hijama, cupping. Uh, does it invalidate the fasting or it does not? And if it does, would it comprise both the one performing the cupping and the one himself cupped? The one performing the cupping is called al-hajim, and the one who himself is cupped is called al-mahjum. Or does it only uh, invalidate the fasting of al-mahjum, meaning the one cupped? Let us now examine the hadith of Ibn Abbas that has preceded. If it is authentic, then in it, therefore, there is evidence for the permissibility of hijama, cupping, for the fasting. However, many of the masters of hadith consider the statement, that the Prophet ﷺ had cupping made on him when he was fasting was considered as da'if, weak then it is to be said assuming that the hadith is sahih then this is from the action of the Prophet والسلام, and his action والسلام, does not indicate generality because it is possible that he ihtajam, was cupped while fasting, then he 
broke his fast after hijama. And it's possible that this took place in a nafil fasting, meaning when he was fasting a nafil optional fast. And with respect to the nafil fast, the person has the choice. He may break his fast. And it is possible that this took place before the ruling that the hajim and the mahjum, the one doing the cupping and the one cupped, break their fast if they both carry the cupping. So this could be possible, that it's possible that this took place before the ruling on the breaking of the fast of the two. And since these matters are possible, then it's difficult that one can conclude from the hadith of Ibn Abbas the permissibility of hijama, of cupping for the fasting. Not to mention that the hadith is weak as stated earlier. From the benefits of hadith of Ibn Abbas still, that it is permissible to have the hijama, the cupping, for done on the muhrim, the one who entered the state of ihram. That is because the Prophet ﷺ had cupping made on him when he was muhrim in his state of ihram. Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah explained that it's inevitable in the cupping that the sight of the bottle be shaved, especially if it is, if the area is thick in hair, as the Prophet's hair was thick, and therefore it is permissible here, he concluded, for the individual to take some of his hair, head, of his head's hair, if he needs that. And this falls under the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Baqarah 2.196 فَمَنْ كَانَ مِنْكُمْ مَرِيضًا أَوْ بِهِ أَذًا مِنْ رَأْسِهِ فَفِدْيَةً And whoever of you is ill or has an ailment in his scalp necessitating shaving he must pay a fidya ransom a ransom what is the ransom? Of either observing fasting three days or giving sadaqah, feeding six poor persons or offering sacrifice as one sheep. However, in this hadith, however, as you notice, there is no mention of ransom. You see, you understand that the Prophet ﷺ had the cupping performed on him. Sheikh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah is saying it's inevitable that the site of the, the place be shaved hair removed. But in this hadith, there was no mentioning of the ransom. Clear? So, in the hadith, there is no mentioning of, of the ransom. Therefore, here, there is an important matter. There is an important evidence here that there is no fidya, no fidya, no ransom when it comes to 
a small section of the hair being removed you know a small part or and so taking shaving some of the head of the muhrim when without a need is unlawful while when there is a need it is permissible is there is there a fidya is there a ransom what's apparent from the hadith there is no ransom in addition it is possible to say that what's apparent from the verse when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said wala تحلقوا رؤوسكم حتى يبلغ الهدي محلة فمن كان منكم مريضا أو به أذى من رأسه ففدية and whoever of you is ill or has an ailment in his cup that this may refer to the shaving of the entire head and so therefore taking part of it which is less than most of the hair there is no therefore there is no fidya there is no ransom but it is unlawful unless there is a need remember that it is unlawful unless there is a need Imam Malik rahimahullah mentioned that if he shaves that which is required to remove the harm then the fidya is necessity or is obligated otherwise no otherwise no and to do that requires that a great part of the head to be shaved in order to remove the harm because the lice or that which may cause the harm may not be removed except by shaving most of the head and this is the opinion of choice that the fidya, the ransom is only when most of the head is shaved then we say that most of the head there is no doubt that this is the two thirds Although some may have said that a thuluth with thuluth kathir, one third and one third is much. And they said if he shaves more than the one third, then there is fidya, otherwise no. From this we know the weak opinion of those who said if the person removes the three hairs from his head while in ihram, then ransom is entailed upon him. And if he removes one, then he has to feed one poor person, one hair. If he removes one hair, then he must, must feed one poor person. And if he removes two, then he feeds two. And if he removes three, then the ransom. This saying is weak. How could we or obligate the ransom in three hairs? If removed, they don't even show. Knowing that the ayah is explicit as it refers to shaving. This is an opinion anyway, and it is weak as you can tell. 
And if it happens that he takes three hits due to forgetfulness or ignorance or scratches his head unintentionally, removing some, removing these three hairs, according to an opinion, there is fidya, there is fidya, there is ransom, and this is excessiveness, this is excessiveness, great excessiveness, without a dalil, without any evidence, and we know that concerning ignorance and forgetfulness, the ayah is explicit, رَبَّنَا لَا تُؤَاخِذْنَا إِنْ نَسِينَا أَوْ أَخْطَأْنَا O our Lord, our Rabb, don't blame us if we, or punish us, not if we forget or fall into error. And also, in that which is unintentional, we read the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in 33.5, وَلَيْسَ عَلَيْكُمْ جُنَاحٌ فِيمَا أَخْطَأْتُمْ بِهِ وَلَكِنْ مَا تَعَمَّدَتْ قُلُوبُكُمْ and there is no sin on you if you make a mistake therein except in regard to what your hearts deliberately intend. And that's why when Umm al-Mu'mineen Aisha radiallahu anha was asked about scratching the head, she said, لو لم أحكه بيدي لحككته برجلي or لو لم أحكه بيدي لحككته برجلي if I didn't scratch it with my hand, I would scratch it with my leg or with my feet. Why? This is just to emphasize the permissibility. To emphasize the permissibility. And this is correct. And many of the people in Hajj have been seen. If he wanted to if one of them wanted to scratch his head, he would pick or um, do just like the uh, the rooster would do, would peck like the uh, the rooster by his hand, by his by his uh, finger. Who said this? This is excessiveness. And one is amazed regarding these excessiveness where there is no dalil concerning them. And here the method is very serious. To obligate ransom without dalil is wrong. Why? Because you gonna make it binding on the people. That which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not make it did not make as binding. And if they do the ransom, if they expiate, they will waste their wealth. And the origin with respect to the ruling concerning the Muslims' wealth is that they are inviolable. And if also they were ransomed by feeding, then they will also waste. And if you, if they ransom by fasting, you will cause hardship on them without dalil. Now, now back to the hijama, back, back to the hijama, the cupping. The rolling on the cupping, as we have mentioned earlier, 
that the scholars rahimahumullah differed regarding it and the position of Imam Ahmed or the madhab of Imam Ahmed rahimahullah schools of thought is that it invalidates the fasting of both the one doing the cupping and the one being cupped and Imam Ahmed went to the opinion that the most authentic report concerning it or hadith is that of Shaddad bin Aws which we mentioned earlier and where it is explicit that it invalidates the fasting or it breaks the fasting of Al-Hajim and Al-Mahjum the one who cups and the one who is cupped have broken their fast Imam Ahmed said that this is the most authentic now as to the one who is cupped known in Arabic as Al-Mahjum the breaking of his fast is apparent because the blood is withdrawn from him the blood by which the body is, is uh, strength is, is, is established and therefore such a withdrawal will lead to weakening of the body and he would not be able to continue the fast so it was from the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that if he needed to do the cupping then it is to be said to him eat and drink so that you restore your strength this is the wisdom that's why we say whoever needs the cupping while performing his obligated fast we say to him perform the cupping eat and drink because it is permissible for you to break your fast there's nothing on you however the one who does not need it we say don't make the cupping it is forbidden upon you if your fasting is an obligated fast so therefore it becomes clear that breaking the fast by the cupping is a way of making things easy upon the fasting individual it is not to make the matter hard on him and as with this and with respect to the one performing the one who cups you may ask how does the cupping now make or, or break his fast some had said that it is because he assisted the one who was cupped assisted him on breaking his fast so he broke his fast by way of sin not by way of action this is one angle another angle it is said that this matter is is a worship meaning it is of the kind where we don't know or don't comprehend the cause it doesn't mean that it does not have a cause no everything has its cause in the legal matters in the illegal rulings 
But the one which is ta'abud, done as worship, and which we don't comprehend its cause, because our intellect is limited in the sense that it cannot comprehend everything as to what Allah may have intended. This is another angle. The third angle, and this is the choice of Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah, he said that the Prophet spoke about one who cups using a known tool at that time, and that is the one involving the suction and the little jar. And we learned in the beginning how this was done at that time. He said, if he sucks the little jar, then he will suck it in a strong way in order to quickly remove the air therein. And in this case, there is no safeguard. And he cannot be secure against sucking some of the blood. And he said, this is a matter which cannot be controlled. And then when the cause is widespread, such that it is not controllable, then sufficient is that it may cause such a problem. This is his words, Rahimahullah. These are his words. And in accordance with his words, therefore, the issue has a cause with respect to the hajim, the one who cups and the one who is cupped. But now, if someone says, what about if he performs the cupping in a way which is different, not by way of sucking the air from the jar, would this entail a breaking of his fast or not? Now, in accordance with the opinion that see that this matter is a matter of worship, then he breaks the fast because he is performing the cupping. However, you understand so far, in accordance with this opinion, which sees it as a matter of worship, then he breaks the fast. But with respect to the saying that it has a cause, meaning if he performs the cupping in a way other than the way which was known at the time of the Prophet ﷺ, then in this case he does not break the fast. And this is the correct opinion without any doubt. Now here is an issue. What about letting blood what about bloodletting, which is known as fast to bleed? What about cutting the skin or incision? Are these considered like hijama or no? Back again, 
with respect to those who said that the matter is a matter of worship ta'abudiyah, they say no. If he cuts the skin or makes an incision, and a and great amount of blood comes out, then he does not break the fast. Why? Because they said in the matters which are ta'abud, worship, there is no analogy. Why? Because from the conditions of analogy is that we know the cause so that we relate the branch to the origin. And since we know that this, the cause of this is unknown, then we cannot make the analogy. And this is the school of thought with the school of thought of the madhab of Al-Hanabila. So they said in this case he does not break the fast. Why? Because the matter is matter of worship and there is no qiyas on it. There is no analogy therefore on it in this case because it has no illa, no cause. You understand their position? Time, I repeat. They said that the matter, all the matter is a, the copying is ta'abud. Ta'abud meaning worship. And there is no cause we comprehend. So now, if he performs bloodletting, opening a vein, cutting the skin or incision, and great blood comes out, then in this case, he does not break the fast. Why? Because they said, we cannot make an analogy here. Cause, illa, illa, reason. So that, that's, that's what it is. The illa, you say, cause and effect, the underlying cause, the principal cause. So, you understand now. So, they said that this is a matter of ta'abud, worship. And we don't comprehend the cause. So, they, we cannot make analogy. You see? In all these things, the uh, bloodletting, the cutting the vein, etc. We cannot make it as... Uh, uh, in analogy to the hijama. Why? Because in the matters of analogy, we must know the illa, the underlying cause, so that we relate the origin or that which is a branch to the origin. And since, and since this is not known and comprehended, therefore we cannot make the analogy and then the cause accordingly, therefore, we cannot say that he will break the fast. However, with, is that clear so far? Sheikh al-Islam, rahimahullah, he said, the cause is the same, the underlying cause is the same, and there is no difference, and that is the weakening of the body. So therefore, the one upon whom bloodletting or opening a vein or cut in the skin was made or incision, he breaks the fast. You understand what he said? You understand this? You understand what he said? Yeah. And he said the hijama and fast bloodletting and cutting the skin incision may differ from one country to another. And it may differ even 
from one time to another time, from a time to another time. And so, in some places, in some countries, we may say, it is better that you perform the hijama, the cupping. In another country, we may say, it's better that you do bloodletting. In the third, we may say, it is better to cut the skin and make an incision. And similarly, with respect to time, and the meaning is the same. And in all of these, the objective is to withdraw the bad blood. And what Sheikh al-Islam has mentioned is the correct opinion without a doubt. And we know now. Therefore, this is regarding the one to whom what? To whom the bloodletting or the cutting the skin or the incision is made on. What about the doer, the one who does this? Is his fasting also, does his fasting break or not? Sheikh al-Islam, in accordance with his opinion, no, it doesn't. Because he said the underlying cause, the underlying cause for the breaking of the fast of the one who makes the cupping is non-existent when it comes to the bloodletting and with respect to the cutting the skin and the incision. The one who does that. So therefore, in accordance, his fasting is not invalid. Thirdly, if a person falls on something sharp and is injured, and a lot of blood comes out, could this lead to his breaking of the fast, or breaks his fast, could this break his fast or no? The answer, no, because he did not do this deliberately. Don't you see if some uh, something flies into the throat of someone from water or otherwise, mm, unintentionally, this does not break his fast, and this is the same. Similarly, if he scratches his head and his fingernails are strong and he causes an injury to his head, then this does not break his fast because this is limited. It's not like hijama, not even close to hijama. little amount of blood comes but with hijama no and that's why and that's why if a person presses a wound in order in his hand for example so that what's built up there from uh, substance comes out and some blood comes with it then he does not break the fast however the common people, the common Muslims are excessive, very, very excessive when it comes to these things. If a tiny, tiny wound touches his lips where very, very few, very, very, very little amount of blood comes, like the blood of a mosquito, he comes and asks, 
does this invalidate my fast or not? But we say that it does not, because in order for it to be as such, it is required that the blood that is coming out should be effective, the same, having the same effect as the withdrawal of blood in the case of cupping. Fourthly, if some blood is taken from an individual and in order to be used in the treatment of another individual, such a process is permissible under two conditions, that it is beneficial for the ill person and that there is no harm on the donor, two conditions. And this is contrary to the donation of organs, whereby it is not permissible to donate them. Never. Even if it is to be said that this ill person is in a situation such that if the kidney is not donated to him, he will die. We say if he dies, then it is from Allah, and we don't donate to him. Even after the death of the donor, it is not permissible. That is because the body of the human is a trust with him. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, وَلَا تَقْتُلُوا أَنفُسَكُمْ And don't kill yourselves. وَقَالْ وَلَا تُلْقُوا بِأَيْدِيكُمْ إِلَى التَّهْلُكَ And don't throw yourselves into destruction. And the Prophet sallallahu said, كَسْرُ عَظْرِمِ الْمَيِّتِ كَكَسْرِهِ حَيًّا Breaking the bones of the dead is like breaking his bones when he's alive. And accordingly, based upon the fatwa of some, that it is permissible to donate the organs. Based on that, people began to kill their young and sell their kidneys or livers and the thieves began stealing the children in some countries. This, however, in this land, alhamdulillah, this does not take place, but in other countries. And if this is something forbidden internationally and is punishable internationally, this would not have been done. And this is a reality. There are some people who say, here's my father, he has kidney malfunction, and I have two active, good, healthy, strong kidneys. I will give him one, so that he may live. We say that this is haram, and not permissible. 
would your father in a situation where he may need your flesh in the wilderness and you are fat do you say to him take from my thigh and eat this is not permissible also this may be also harm on you so what is important although this has been looked upon by some people as this is okay however we don't see that this is permissible never even if the donation is a from a from an unbeliever and here it's worth mentioning that this scholars rahimahumullah referred to this in the book of janaiz in the book of funerals the author of the book al-iqna' rahimahullah when he mentioned the washing of the deceased he said he said لا يجوز أن يؤخذ من الميت عضو لآخر ولو تبرع به it's not permissible for a part from the deceased to be taken to give to another one even if he denotes it subhanallah كأنما عاشوا في زمننا as if they lived in our times now comes another case the one who donates blood while he is fasting does this break his fast or it doesn't we say that if the quantity it's a large quantity such that it will influence him as the influence of hijama weakening the body then it does break the fast Now then, therefore, we say, is it therefore permissible for him to donate and uh, invalidate his fast in this case or not? This requires details. Meaning, if his fasting is optional, there's no harm. Because the optional fast, a person may break it. But if the fast was an obligated fast, then it is not permissible for him to donate it Allahumma except if the physicians conclude that if this transfusion is not made in this illness then he will die then in this case he may donate because in this case this is saving an inviolable self what about the receiver? This is concerning the donor. What about the receiver when he is fasting? Does this invalidate his fast or breaks his fast or not? Our Shaykh Rahimahullah said, I used to say, I used to see in the beginning that it breaks the fast. And I used to say that if the blood, rather if the food and the drink break the fast, then the food and the drink change into blood. And the blood will be the essence 
carrier of the blood. And therefore I concluded in the beginning that it breaks the fast. Then it occurred to me that it doesn't. Although the blood may give him strength, but it does not stand as a substitute for food and drink. And it is not from our right to relate a branch to an origin that's not equivalent to it. And therefore, تَبَيَّنَ لِي أَخِيرًا أَنَّهُ لَا يُفَطَّرُ It occurred to me lately, and it became clear to me lately that it does not invalidate the fasting of the receiver. This brings the end on the discussion regarding this matter of hijama. Of hijama. I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, to, make it, to make it a benefit for myself and for all of you and to make us comprehend the benefits in these hadith and to make us from those who relate them with knowledge to others to benefit them. Walhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen wa sallallahu ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallama tasliman kathira.